Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. Today, we're going to do a little bit of off-season chat. Obviously, the big news of the week was that Patrick Beverly is now a Timberwolf. Uh, Jared Culver and Juancho Hearn Gomez going the other way to Memphis to do that and to, to talk a little bit of Summer League and a little bit of the Prince and Rubio trade and all the good stuff or mediocre stuff that's been happening lately uh is tyler metcalf uh draft expert over at hashtag basketball contributor over at canis hoopers normally my go-to draft guy but knows just as just as much about non-draft stuff that he does about draft stuff so tyler what's going on man uh jake i'm good it's good to be back with you it's been a little bit a little less chaotic than last summer when the entire (laughs) draft world revolved around the timberwolves and we we couldn't even sniff a pick this year, so uh, it, it's at least something happened. You you called it mediocre. Uh, I, I think that's pretty apt, but uh, at least it's something. It, it's better than where we were at a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think there was a real danger of nothing happening at all at one stage. Uh, and as much as I, I kind of have a little bit of confidence that Minnesota can be competitive even without kind of you know making a huge swing. It's boring, man. Like, we both create content, and it's, it's not fun when you have to create content out of thin air. So I'm happy at least we got a little bit of uh, crumbs to, to sniff. But what do you think? We'll start with the, the Beverly trade, obviously. Like, what, what were your thoughts on that? I think that, that overall the discourse around it has been different, whether you're a Timberwolves fan or whether you're a national media guy. But, um, yeah, what, what were your thoughts? I, I loved it. I, I thought it made a ton of sense um, moving off of two guys who really kind of just fell out of the rotation and weren't contributing positively at all and bringing in Beverly, who doesn't need the ball, is a very good off-ball shooter, is a very good defender, um, you know, br- brings that grit and toughness and all those cliche intangibles everyone likes to talk about that can't be measured. But it's something that this Timberwolves team really lacked and really needed. And they didn't have a guy really anywhere on the roster besides maybe Josh Okogie, a little bit of Jared Vanderbilt here and there. Um, but I, it, it's veteran presence, it's defense, it's a guy who really knows his role and really excels in that role. And it's it won't take away from anything that the core guys on the team do so i i thought it mm-hmm. made a ton of sense and i the, the the national response to it has seemed to be i can't believe they gave up on the sixth pick from two years ago and all that does is tell me that 
no one outside of Timberwolves fans watches the Timberwolves because if they did, <laughs> Jared Culver, they would have been like, they haven't moved off of him already. Um, and it pains me to say that because I like Jared Culver. He's a, allegedly an awesome, awesome guy. I want him to do well. I hope he succeeds in Memphis. I hope nothing but the best, but it just was never going to happen in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, I think with Culver and with Rubio, a lesser extent with Culver, but the thing I keep coming back to, and I, I think it, it it kind of steers me in the direction of what my thinking is with both of those guys, is I'm not sure in in the modern NBA what they do to really that really is valuable on a team. Like obviously, Ricky Rubio is better than Culver. I don't want to put them in the same bucket, but like if you can't create your own shot, if you can't knock down shots either off the dribble or catch and shoot, which really needs to be a bare minimum. You know, you need to be able to shoot, catch, and shoot shots if you're a wing or a guard. And then you can't finish at the rim. Like, I don't think anything else... Like, Rubio can obviously make plays for others, initiates play sets really well, and and Culver is, I think, an above-average defender for his age and his experience. Um, But if you can't do those things I mentioned, it just just can't work. And that's not just with the Timberwolves, I don't think. Like, I don't think Ricky Rubio will be great in Cleveland just because those things really hurt these days. Like you need to, if, as a point guard, you need to be able to create your own shot or get to the rim and finish. And Culver obviously can't do that even worse than, than Ricky and then can't shoot, can't really dribble. Like it's just, I, I'm i rooting for Culver because I think deep down in there, there is something you yeah. know that can, that can be brought back to life. But even then, I think that something is a guy who's playing 15 minutes a night and not, like tanking your entire team. Like I don't think that Culver can ever really be a, a plus level starter at the moment. And maybe that's harsh, but to move off that and Wancho, who <laughs> well documented, I thought was one of the worst players in the NBA last season. <laughs> like if he if he's not hitting shots, yeah, he just does, he just ball. does nothing. Yeah, he does nothing else except shoot threes. And when he's hitting them, that that's kind of valuable. But even then, it's, he's still a liability defensively and a really one-dimensional offensive player. Uh, moving off that for a guy who clearly fits a need in Beverly, like you said, the, the defense, the the shooting. I think the point you noted there, which was really good, was that he just knows his role and has been in that same role for so long. Like, it's so important for this team to find guys who just play a role, don't want any more from their role. Like, they don't have enough breathing room to kind of be giving guys extra touches or, you know, guys in the locker room complaining for extra touches or extra shots. Um, Beverly's not going to do that. He's going to come in and just give you what he's always given. And what he's always given has been on really good teams. So I think that's, you know, that's a win for me. Yeah, and I, I think one of the big talking points with this Timberwolves team once they got healthy towards the end of last season was how is the offense going to operate with Cat and Ant and D'Lo who are all guys who need the ball and are high-level scorers. And all the pieces that they were kind of able to put around those guys, they were basically specialists, and specialists are really rapidly fading out of the league. And if you can't do at least a little bit of multiple things on each end of the floor, you become really hard to play. Like, you look at Josh Okoge, who is a really awesome defender, but the offensive liabilities are pretty obvious. Ricky Rubio, Jared Culver, Wancho, Jared Vanderbilt, all those guys have a really exciting and interesting skill on one end of the floor that gels really well 
with that core three, but then on the other end of the floor, it's a complete disaster and it doesn't work. The What's awesome about Beverly is that he does have that two-way role player versatility and and offensively 51% of his shots were catch and shoot threes that's perfect and on those he shot 41% last season he took 3. Point, or 3 3.2% of his threes a defender was in within 4 feet of him he doesn't take bad shots he doesn't need the ball to get into a shot he doesn't it, he doesn't force things. He knows exactly what he's good at, and that's shooting off the catch. And when you have guys as dynamic as D'Lo and Cat and Ant, there's going to be a plethora of catch-and-shoot three-point opportunities for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that's such a good point because it's not it's not just the fact that he takes a lot of threes. It's the fact that he only takes good threes. And he's not ever going to try and kind of outreach that, that those capabilities that he has to take open threes. Like if, it, if it's not open, he'll move the ball on immediately. Uh, he's a point guard in the in name more than mm-hmm. I guess more than I guess you know role on the court. He's more of an off guard. I mean, he shot he's he's effective field goal percentage from the corners seventy five percent from the left corner sixty two point percent from. The right corner. That's when you think of Ricky Rubio last season. Just in your mind's eye, that's where I imagine Rubio uh, in the minutes that he played with D'Lo is kind of just camped out in the corner. I don't think that you'll see Beverly kind of taking many above the break shots. Uh, he will take them, I guess. In you know, and he's a good screener as well, so he does get a little bit of pick and pop action. You know, uh, big, small pick and rolls. Um, but I, I just imagine him kind of bringing like bringing the ball up, hand off to Anthony Woods situate in the corner and kind of you know drives the lane collapses the defense and there's pat beverly for the for the easy kick out in the three like that's a really really simple role and then you you switch it out onto defense and he's he's hounding everyone pestering guys really just an annoying little dude like the dude that i cannot wait to have other teams fans hate when they play us because that's not something that they've that minnesota have ever had really like Apart from Jimmy Butler and and Kevin Garnett, who are obviously much better talents in general, there's never really been anyone in the last 15, 20 years who's just excelled defensively and been really kind of pesky and and annoying on the court. And that's something this team needs. And, and he's not going to give you 35 minutes a night anymore, Beverly, but he, he can give you 20 to 25 probably pretty pretty comfortably. And... In those 2025, he's going to be a winning player. He always has been a guy who's, you know, the, the plus minuses, the, you know, box score, box plus minus, all that stuff is always, he's always one of the best in the league. And mm-hmm. for for Jarrett Culver and Juan Johan and Gomez, even if he drops off 25% from what he usually is, like, that's still going to be a better player than what you would have had in your rotation. Yeah, and that, that point about bringing in his defense, and it's, it's so important because he's not a liability on the other end when you do that. And, and when you just looking at cleaning the glass throughout his entire career, he's, his team has only been better on defense uh, once when he was on the court compared to off where um, last season with the Clippers, their defensive rating was 4.4 points lower, which was in the 85th percentile. And, 
I, I just I can't imagine a scenario where he doesn't have at least a somewhat similar impact on the Timberwolves, and it mm-hmm. makes it makes Delo's defensive job so much easier because he's never going to have to defend the primary initiator whenever, or maybe at all, because I'm assuming he'll get paired with Beverly or Okogi at least. 90% of the time he's on the floor and one and then of those... the other and and then the other times you've got McDaniel's on there you know who's they've right. definitely toyed with guarding like twos and 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 bigger ones throughout the season so it seems like they have a lot of point of attack options which is just perfect for Delo because you need to off the ball I actually don't hate what Russell does defensively I don't love it that's for sure right. but <laughs> I think that I think that he's at least can get he's at least good in the passing lanes and he's like long and he he does take up space and kind of guard space really well which is at least somewhat valuable but but on the ball having to deal with with ball screens that's when he tanks he your entire defense yeah yeah and he doesn't even try to get through those ball screens so like it really hurts having a player like that having to guard you know 25 30 ball screens a night like if you can knock that down to 5 or 10 like that's twenty possessions that you you might have a better chance of of forcing a turnover or forcing a missed shot or or just forcing a shot that at least takes more energy out of out of the ball handler rather than just you know Kemba Walker or someone getting whatever they want all night like that that is that has been what it has been for the last you know season and a half and, and before that with Jeff T and Derek Rose like this is the first time they've had a really good like point guard point of attack defender for mm-hmm. for years now um what do you think that beverly what do you think his role is in terms of starting or not starting i know that doesn't really matter but like do you think there's a chance he starts um maybe by the end of the season but i would kind of imagine him played more of that that six man role or yeah. what, what one of the first two or three guys off the bench and playing that right, like right around 20 to 25 minutes a night Maybe uh, he's and he just turned thirty three, so m- maybe that's a little optimistic. But I, I kind of imagine Finch using him more as like a glue guy to connect different lineups as they cycle in in and out of starters and second unit guys. Yeah, uh, and he gets hurt every year. <laughs> like that's just what what he is at the moment. I don't think. Uh, I kind of look back through the injury history. A lot of them seem like injuries. I don't think he's ever really had one that's like recurring, you know, like I don't think he has knee problems or he, like a, like last year, I think it was his hand. I think he had like a calf strain. Like it seems like he gets little, you know, muscle twangs that, that kind of keep him out for, for two or three weeks. And then he might have like a an impact injury because he's always kind of diving on the floor and running into screens as hard as he can and, and trying to draw offensive fouls. So, like, I, I think, you know, 37 games last year, 51 before, 78, 11, 67, 71, 56, 56. So he's never played more than 78 games, and he's only yeah. played more than 60 once. Like, that that kind of worries me, but I, I guess it's what you, what you sign up for with Beverly and for a guy who gives that much impact and kind of, like, heart on the court and... and gives his everything, you know, dives on the floor all the time. But what do you do with Jordan McLaughlin? Like, what what's the third point guard situation for you? Because it looks like J-Mac is not going to come back because of the cap situation and Vanderbilt obviously still to be signed. Balmaro will be in there as well. So I guess it's Noel, 
McLaughlin, Balmaro, like where who gets those minutes or who gets that that role? I I, I still think they bring J Mac back, but I mean, just thinking back to his contract negotiations last year, I mean, they just told him go find a better offer, and he couldn't. Um, so, you know, I I I don't know how much of that is them not being completely enthralled with him or them trying to practice best business and get you know manage every single penny that they can um you know and maybe it's a bit of both where i i I would still like to see him as that third point guard um i not i know there has been some intrigue about Jalen noel playing that point guard role um I, I think he's more than an off-ball shooter, but I don't think his on-ball mm-hmm. creation really does anything for anyone else. I think it's all getting him his own shot. Um, I mean, last year his assist percentage was in the 21st percentile. And that feels high. Yeah. <laughs> like... I know. He, he, he's just not a good playmaker. And, and that's fine because I never really expected him to be one. And I just think thrusting him into that role, I, I, I don't think it'll do good things for the offense overall. I know Jack Borman has other ideas. Um, <laughs> Shout out Jack Borman. Love, love you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, mean, I, I would still like to see them bring McLaughlin back, even if they don't. Maybe we see McKinley Wright kind of step into that McLaughlin role that he's had for the last two years. Uh, maybe Bomaro takes over more of that. Um, but I, I, I still have a feeling that it's going to end up being McLaughlin. Now, you were, am I remembering correctly that at draft time last season, you were pretty low on the Bomaro pick? What's, what's your feeling there? Um, I, I had him as like a fringe first rounder. So, oh, so not so, as low as I thought, not as low as I thought. Yeah. I, I think it was like, I, I think it was maybe like high or like early thirties. Um, I, I came a little more around, around on him later. Um, but I, I really struggled with his shooting because mm-hmm. when, when he, the season he declared for the draft, it was, it was rough. It was really bad. And then this last season, the first half of it, it was more of the same. And it, it improved as the season went on. I'm still not fully bought into it. I'm encouraged. I like the signs. I like the trends. Um, but with his size, his creativity, his work rate is insane. Um, I really like him defensively. Uh, he still turns the ball over a little too much for my liking. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is him seeing and trying to make really difficult passes sometimes and, and i like and i like that i like that in a young guard like i think that you need to yeah you need to harness it and kind of you know blend it together with creativity and also ball security but i i do prefer young guards who try to do those those outlier things yeah and and clearly have the ability to do them rather than guys who just always play it safe like i, I in terms of a passing prospect, I'd rather a Balmaro over a Tyus Jones. And Tyus Jones, you know, leads the league in assist-to-turnover ratio every year, but he also never really makes that killer pass that can kind of split a defense in with just that pass. I think Balmaro can do that, but he also needs to to learn to straddle the, the line of 
making those passes and also not making those dumb passes as well, which he does. And he makes a lot of those right. like Ricky Rubio throw ahead passes after a, an, an outlet pass, you know, all the way up the court, which are just very unnecessary. They get turned yeah. over. Um, you know, strange little bounce passes in, in times where you probably could just throw it up to the big man instead he's trying to bounce it through a gap. Like, that stuff, yeah, it it, it it encourages me that he can see those gaps and that he can see that play unfolding kind of maybe more advanced than someone usually his age does, but also, like, you can't turn it over that much, so it needs to be a and, and that's And that's stuff that comes with experience and reps and minutes. Right. And all that stuff, and familiarity with teammates and systems, and all that stuff. Um, you know, three years from now, if he's still doing the same thing, I'm going to be mm-hmm. a little more concerned about it. But it's not like he's dribbling it out off his foot or throwing it into the tenth row or something. Yeah it's, yeah, it's trying to do too much almost. And so I, 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 I'm encouraged by it. I like it. Um, it's just something I've that's nagged at me a little bit and just kept my eye on. Yeah, so I think I'm with you here that if you're kind of projecting the perfect rotation, Noel and Balmaro are out of it, and McLaughlin is out of it in the you know break blast in case of emergency situation where he's the first one that comes in in the inevitable kind of scenario that D'Lo or Beverly aren't playing. Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of thinking through the guys that, you know, they're probably the first ones missing out on minutes um at least consistently um you know i i I really i i like noel's scoring game um i think he's shown a lot and that he's a player that deserves to be in this league um but like when you look at their their guard rotation i i don't know that he does anything substantially better than those other guys where he should be getting minutes over them um if someone gets hurt i am really happy with him stepping in um if guys start sucking i'm really happy with him (laughs) stepping in and stepping up uh because he's shown his entire career he's not afraid to step up and take shots and kind of do what needs to be done but i i just don't think he necessarily has one outline skill that puts him head and shoulders above other guys in the rotation. Yeah, Noel kind of, to me, is a very niche, like, need need for a game. Like, I think there will be games where he might just get a random game where he gets 15 minutes, um, you know, if they can't get any any on-ball creation off their bench or, or things just seem to be breaking down in terms of guys who can actually put the ball in the hoop. I don't think that is going to be very often because this team kind of built that the only thing they really do have is guys who can put the ball in the hoop, you know, like, but I do like Noel as that kind of gunner type of player, but this team doesn't really need any more gunners right. in, in, in their rotation on an every night basis. Like, it's tough for me with Noel because I'm the same. I really like him. I really think that if he went to a team that needed someone like that, he would be a really good young player, but mm-hmm. it's just tough. It's tough to give him minutes. I think that I've said it all, all off season long is that the only the thing holding him back from minutes is, is Malik Beasley because they're yeah. not the same player, but in terms of role, like size, you can't really play them together um, as a two and a three. 
I think, and, and, and Beasley's better, and he's one skill, like you talked about before, they, they have that one skill, but Beasley has an elite skill, which is shooting off movement, shooting catch and yep. shoot, you know, like, Noel has a kind of hodgepodge of, of good scoring attributes, but none of them are elite the way that Beasley's shooting is elite, so until Beasley's either moved or you know, suspended again or back in jail, like, right. I think Noel is... <laughs> I think Noel is kind of the guy who is the odd man out. Um, moving on, the other trade which we haven't I haven't spoke to you at all about. Um, obviously, Prince uh, Ta- Torium Prince. I al- always call him Tayshon Prince, just <laughs> off the top of my head. Like, which I wish he was. If he was Prime yeah, Tayshon right. Prince, you know, we'd be we'd be rolling. Um, Torian Prince. For Ricky Rubio, Minnesota obviously get back a second round pick and I think two point five million cash considerations, which is nothing really in the in the big picture. Um, this seems to be the more decisive divisive trade. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, when it was initially reported that Minnesota was sending out the pick and cash and Rubio, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was appalled. I, I was throwing a fit, um, and and then I, I think it was maybe. John Krasinski, who who corrected it, and uh, my, my my concerns were were eased. Um, I mean, I, I was I was hoping to get more, you know, a yeah. second round pick, some cash for the owner, and Torian Prince aren't the sexy trade that we've all been told and or was going to happen or led to believe was going to happen or we were imagining. Um, and Rubio was a big piece of all those trades because of his salary and how combining that with one or two other guys would get us to that salary. Um, I, I never really thought that a big trade like that was going to happen, but when the when the president of basketball operations kind of leads you in that direction, you start to believe it a little right. bit more than, than if it was just Twitter rumors like... I think right. we were kind of led to believe, not that he was certainly going to make a huge trade, that but that the trade pursuing was going to be a little bit more aggressive than Tory and Prince. Right. So, but like the more the more I think about it, it's I'm I'm fine with it um, because I I I love that Ricky Rubio was this awesome mentor for Ant, and that Ant really learned a lot from him and the fans connection to Rubio. I get all that. He sucked on the court last year. It, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. it's as simple as that. He, he was really bad for them. Um, and Prince gives them some size at the forward or wing position that they didn't have. I mean, he was in the 87th percentile in three point shooting among forwards last season. You know, it's, it, I, I think it's an improvement and, um, it's not a sexy one. It's not one that really makes the headlines pop, especially when you move off of a fan favorite like Rubio. And I would assume that the vast majority of Timberwolves fans have no idea who Torian Prince was before <laughs> this trade. Um, but just in the grand scheme of things, I, I like it more. I think it makes them a little bit better on the margins and gives them more wiggle, wiggle room overall in the rotation because and and takes away a big piece of the rotation from last season that was just a negative they they could not find a consistent way to use rubio in a positive fashion besides 
being a really good mentor for Amp. Yeah, you can't pay seventy million dollars for a mentor. Like no. you can re- you can resign Udonis Haslam to minimum deals for thirty years in a row, and that feels like it makes sense because he's obviously doing a lot around the locker room. But at some point, you have to trust that Anthony Edwards, you know, is good enough and has enough potential within himself to not need Ricky Rubio to kind of drag it out of him every right. night and, and not for $17 million and to be a negative on the court. Now, I think Rubio will have a better season in Cleveland than he did last season in, in Minnesota, and I think he would have had a better season if he stayed in Minnesota because yeah, I just think that, he, he, I think that last season was a kind of, not an outlier because I'm not a huge Rubio guy. I mean, that's blasphemy yeah. to say on a, on a, on a Timberwolves podcast probably, but... I Rubio the person, Rubio the mentor, Rubio just the the highlight reel that he was when he was young, like the hope that he brought us as a as a franchise when he first entered the league. I mean, there's no denying any of that, but I think at this point, like I said earlier, for what the what the NBA requires lead guards to be, and Rubio is very much a lead guard because he can't do any any sort of off ball stuff. Um he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have the shot creation doesn't have the the ability to finish at the rim or to to set up others in a way that that kind of makes a huge difference. I think he's a great passer obviously, but not his other deficiencies in his game, his flaws uh take away from from his passing ability and like you said, he's taken up a lot of minutes and they're and they're a negative. Uh you spoke about one skill players and and how they they aren't valuable in, in the NBA anymore. And the only time they are valuable is when you're really good at that one skill, like Malik Beasley. And I think Torian Prince is in that same category. Like, if you can shoot the ball really well and at least be tall, like, I don't think Torian Prince is a good defender, but he's at least big enough to guard wings and to guard fours and to kind of oscillate between those two positions. If you can do that and shoot 40% from three, shoot off movement, come off screens... Like you've got a place in the NBA, and certainly on this team with with a bunch of guys who who command the ball and who who are pretty willing passers as well to to shooters. So I agree that I was a little bit underwhelmed to begin with, but I've come around on it. I think that that fit right now. When you're looking to any player to bring into the Timberwolves, the way they fit around the the quote unquote big three, uh, very quote unquote big three um, <laughs> is that's the most important thing they have to be able to shoot they have to be low usage they have to be able to at least hold their own defensively and not be like a, a major liability on that end and i think prince kind of checks all those boxes and he's four million dollars cheaper and right they they didn't bring in any future money with it either so if he doesn't work at all if he's awful then it's then he's gone next year so it, it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things i don't think especially from like a, a team building strategy and moving off that four million dollars i think helped create space to bring in beverly and along with that extra space to either sign mclaughlin and vanderbilt or maybe target someone else here but i i feel like that's incredibly unrealistic at this point yeah yeah uh, before we go to a quick break, how much do you think Vanderbilt? I think Vanderbilt definitely comes back. I don't know if mm-hmm. you feel the same. Uh, how much do you think they give him? 
as little as they possibly can. Um, <laughs> I, the, poli- I think the qualifying offer? Do you reckon? Do you think he might take the qualifying offer? I, I yeah, I, that, that, that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking at this point. Um, um, I'd be kind of surprised if another team gave him more. Um, and if they did, it wouldn't shock me if Minnesota said, "Okay, good luck." Um, yeah, yeah. They, they, they've they, got a history I, of that with with the Tyus Jones kind of thing. I know Tyus got a fuckload of cash, but like, right, right. It, if if he gets like six million, like you know, like three years, eighteen million, they're they're not going to bring him back. To like, for yeah, that. they they they. Every move they've made in the last however many months um, has really felt it's been pay as little as possible and keep the future as flexible as possible. So if right. someone comes in with a multi-year contract for Vanderbilt, uh, paying more than the qualifying, um, I, I would be really surprised if the Timberwolves agree or matched it and took on that future money for a guy that I, I don't, I, I like him. I think there are things that he does is, that are interesting, but I'm not fully convinced that he's really part of the picture, even for the season after this one. Yeah. Look, I'm a Vanderbilt stand. So I, I want them to, if they, I would love them to bring him back on a multi-year contract. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that you could pay him too much, especially not with, like he's played 92 NBA games, yeah. and probably 25 of those has been as an end-of-bench guy in garbage time. Like He's virtually, in terms of experience, like a rookie. So you, you can't be paying him any more than what, what you see fit, and that's on the low end of you know maybe three or four million. I'd say the contract they have out there for him and this is speculation, obviously, would be around three million, like you know maybe three, three. Yeah. Uh, which is low, and I respect that that Vanderbilt probably thinks he's worth more than that. I would I would be shocked at this point if he doesn't just sign the qualifying offer. Um, it makes him a unrestricted free agent next summer. I'm pretty sure it also inbuilds a uh, no trade clause into your contract if you if you take the qualifying offer, which means they that he certainly becomes an unrestricted free agent with a you know and gets to choose the team of his choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that. I mean, maybe, but I think with both him and and McLaughlin in, in a in a way that is really good business, they're also pretty disrespectful to these guys who they and and that's that's a, a bad way to put it because it's not disrespectful to to do the best thing for the business and do the best thing for the for the salary cap, but in terms of rewarding these guys for the effort they've put in for the team, they just don't get that. And they're not going to. And like you said, they told McLaughlin, go and get more money. You know, like if you can go and get more money, like that's a good thing for you, but we're not going to give it to you. And I think that usually ends up with, well, okay, I'm just going to take the qualifying offer. Hopefully have a really good season. I think Vanderbilt's in a good position to take the qualifying offer because I think that he'll probably start like, or at least be playing 20 minutes a night. Like if you're going to take the qualifying offer and then you're going to come back and start 60 games. That's where you want to be because you're going to have ample opportunity to to show teams that you are worth you know five million next summer or seven million. Like I think that's what ends up happening. I don't like it because I think once you you do sign the qualifying offer, the odds of them ever being re-signed are, they drop pretty significantly because they're kind of feeling a little bit 
disrespected probably and that they yeah. won't pay what, what they thought they were worth. So, I don't know. I love Vando, man. I want him back. All of, all of his defensive numbers are so good. The team is so much better when he's on the floor defensively. He can't catch the ball. He can't do anything except for play defense. But I love it. I'm a, I'm a sucker for guys who just play defense really hard. Like even, as you said before, it's it's so much less valuable now than it ever was. But your Josh Okoji, your Jared Vanderbilt's, like I'll always have a place in my heart for, for guys like that. Yeah, and, and that fits perfectly next to Towns. And, and just to solidify that, that defensive point, I mean, it, the Timberwolves defensive rating drops or is 5.8 points per possession better that when he's on the court versus when he's off which is in the 91st percentile and he he, he makes a substantial different difference to their defense and that that fit alongside town since towns can stretch the floor um offensively it, it's a lot more seamless um i i just I, I i like vanderbilt i would i'm more than okay with him coming back and resigning um, my my view on it is just I I'm not fully convinced that the Timberwolves view him like a lot of the fans do, and I'm not sure that they're fully convinced that he's part of the the long term picture. Yeah, uh, I I definitely don't disagree. I think my bias sometimes gets in the way with Vando. Like I just love him. I love guys who just go all out on the court, which is the reason one of the reasons I think I'm really excited about the Beverly. Um, acquisition. Just to add one more stat on that, uh, Minnesota's defensive rating with him and Towns on the floor, and I know that's always been the bugaboo with with McDaniel's and with Covington, guys who are really good defenders. When they were paired next to Towns, they were always really bad. Like uh, I've got the numbers here in front of me, so I'll go through the whole thing. Like yeah, um, McDaniel's that was six point. Uh, that were six point three points per one hundred possessions worse when when McDaniel's was on the floor with Towns. Um, in 853 minute sample size, so so not a small sample size. The season prior, um, seven points per hundred possessions worse when Covington was next to Towns. Obviously, both of those guys are really good defenders as well. Right, and then and then Jared Vanderbilt, uh, they're five points better when Vanderbilt's on the floor with Towns. Their their defensive range is 107.1 when those two are on the floor this season. Phillies. Defensive rating this season was 107.1, which was second in the league. It's a bad way to to frame it, but like <laughs> when they're when they're on the floor when they're on the floor together, they're on par with Philly's defense. When they're off the floor, they're worse than the worst team in the league. Like that's the difference in team defensive rating when when Towns is on the floor with and without Vando. So I think that is what I just love to see. Like those weird stats that role players get every season like your Alex yeah. Caruso's and that, he's yeah. got that that kind of that vibe he's got a Caruso vibe to him and I'm all about that um let's take a break and then we'll talk about maybe some summer league and some other stuff that happened throughout the offseason that maybe isn't as exciting as the trades Hey guys, it's Jake here. Before we get into the sponsored ads, I'd just like to remind you that all my writing and video content is now available in newsletter form and that I'd love for you to, to subscribe uh, every week, there'll be three issues sent out directly to your email inbox or available on the website. On Wednesdays, there is straight sets, which goes into the specific certain play calls from Chris Finch. That'll be accompanied by video breakdowns, diagrams, written words. On Friday, there is a deep dive, like this week's about the way Patrick Beverly defends against screens and how it will help the Timberwolves. 
And on Sunday, there is a week in review, which is a quick glance over the best and worst parts of the week, and that's where the game the game recaps and all that stuff will be as well when the season starts. I love that you listen to the show, and I'd love to have you on board as a subscriber to the newsletter. If that sounds appealing, head over to howlsandgrowls.substack.com. That's howlsandgrowls.substack.com. Or just check out the link in the show notes and you can find it there. Thanks, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, we are back. Uh, I guess the, the first point before we get into a little bit of Summer League talk is the schedule came out yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday here in Australia. It is Saturday night over there in the States. I know that the schedule was not that fun. Like, there's nothing really exciting about the schedule. But is it, was there anything that caught your eye really um, when you when you looked over it? Um, I mean, not really. I, I'm I'm probably the worst person to ask about schedule releases because <laughs> I tend not to care. It's like, oh, they're playing everyone. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's like that. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I believe that I saw that they have the fewest national televised games in the league, uh, mm-hmm. which. From a record standpoint, I get from a star standpoint, I, I guess I'm using the term star loosely since neither of them have won anything, but Towns and Ants, especially Ants, they're pretty easy to sell. Um, and they seem to want, and they seem to market towards these young stars every season right. except Anthony Edwards. Like Zion got 25 or something last season, and they've got another 20 again, even though the Pelicans are perennially bad, like... Lamelo right. Ball, I don't know how many Charlotte got, but it would be in the teens because of him for sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that, that's that's the only thing that kind of surprised me. I, I I wasn't expecting them to be middle of the league because they sucked. They have always sucked, um, and that doesn't do well on national broadcasts. And <laughs> yeah. but I, I expected them to have a handful because I mean, just thinking back to last year and. It seemed like Anthony Edwards was ending up on Sports Center Top Ten on almost a nightly basis, and he had that stretch post All Star break, um, most notably that Phoenix Suns game, where he's you know consistently scoring over thirty points and just putting highlight after highlight, and you know they 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 always tend to market those young, athletic, charismatic guys like crazy like, and, check 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 
And like it's, it's just not going to happen this year. So yeah. it, it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, that, 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 that's the only thing kind of schedule-wise that really surprised me was that they had almost none. Yeah, uh, it's in terms of a marketing standpoint, uh, this team really needs one season of being a half decent. Like if they win 40 games next season and Anthony Edwards is the player that we suspect that he, he could be, like they'd get in fifteen games, I reckon, next season. You know, nationally televised, yeah. just because they do have really marketable players. Like people love D'Angelo Russell or, or yep. hate him, but you know, like he has a stand base that's as big as you know, more bigger than any player of his talent level probably should be. Um, Anthony Edwards is genuinely one of the most marketable player, young players in the league. Like I don't yep. think anyone would disagree with that. Um, and then Towns is a genuine star. Like I don't think Towns is as marketable as maybe the other two guys. And, and I know that his reputation around the league just keeps getting crumbled more and more by the year and, and with every game that Minnesota loses. But like he's fun to watch. If they can just become a team that is competitive on a nightly basis, I feel like that that's all they need to... You know, they do it for one season. They can really kind of boost their public image. But... Yeah, I agree with you. The schedule's the schedule. Like you, are, <laughs> you, you, I think some teams... I think the most important thing is the stuff that I, I don't have the time to work out, which is how many rest days you get, how many times you play back-to-backs, yeah. you know, home and away back-to-backs as well. Like They're the things that in the season I seem to maybe take more notice of kind of mm-hmm. working against you or working for you. Um, I know they start the season with a really you know good stretch of games. I posted something on Twitter yesterday. They have a stretch between... Feb and March that I re- I think it's around 17 games that every single one of them seems winnable and that that's the only thing that stood out to me when I kind of had a look through it like it's a really nice straight I'll go through it but it'll we've got time we've always got time <laughs> um they got so back to back with Detroit back to back against Sacramento Chicago Indiana Charlotte Toronto Memphis Philly Cleveland Golden State Oklahoma City Back-to-back against Portland, Oklahoma City again, and then Orlando. Like, mm, they're about 50-50, you know, home and away. I, I, I should have said that probably. But, like, there's losses in there, obviously. Like, and they're not going to win 17 games in a row. But, like, if they are in the hunt at the start of Feb, and then they can go, you know, 12-5 and five or 11-6 and six in that stretch, like... That's the stretch I think that gets you in the playoffs or the play in or loses it for you. Like, if you're in the hunt going into that and then there's 17 games which is really heading into the pointy end of the season, that's the the one stretch that I noticed that I thought, well, that's going to be really important. And usually I have one of those every season. I kind of mark it on my calendar and usually the Minnesota Timberwolves completely bundle it. Like, they have like a 10 game run where they should win every game or, you know, have a chance and they go 2 and 8 and like, so don't quote me on 12 and, and 5 for sure, but I'm excited to see. I think this team is competitive. Like, before yeah. we, uh, you know, how competitive do you think they are? I, I, I think they have the talent to be in that play-in conversation. Um, I mean, I, I think Memphis takes a step back this year. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of what they've done is kind of stop trying to refine on the edges and take these big home run swings that hopefully pay off long-term for, for them. Um, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota is better than them. Um, 
I, I, I still don't think New Orleans is really that good. I think what they've done this offseason is really weird. Um, so I, I, I expect them to kind of be in that play-in conversation. And, you know, all I, I, I want an excuse-free season. These last however yeah. many years, it's we've always had an excuse. And not your typical fans, oh, the refs are against us. Crap. I mean, sure, there are games like that, but... Um, <laughs> where there isn't you know detrimental covid cases there isn't a season ending injury there isn't jimmy butler tearing his meniscus and missing 6 weeks and they fall from the 3 seed to playing for their lives on the last game of the season where they have an inept coach for a season and a half and everyone on the team is hurt um i just want the the coach seems to be in place the roster seems to be in place I just want a healthy season so we at least know. So we can stop being, oh, well, if only this happened, if that didn't happen. And I know injuries are going to happen, but as long as it's not, oh, Cat's missing three months because of an elbow issue or he messed up his wrist again, um, that that's really all I want. So yeah, really, really just put that to bed. Uh, that's That's so well said. Uh, and it's just, I just want to see what this team is. Like, and I don't think, right. I think we don't, we're not really in the business, you know, you and I of, of making up excuses, you know, and using those excuses as, as crutches. But at the end right. of the day, they are, they are very important aspects of, of what this team has been. And I just want to analyze this team and evaluate them as a whole and we just haven't been able to do that and like you said when you go through it like that it's been years of this like since that day that jimmy butler you know went down with a knee injury it's been constant injuries yep. and and then covid obviously hits which affected everyone but it's hard to manage covid when when other guys on your team are also out for extended periods and this team is just so built around Carl anthony towns like We've talked about on-off numbers with Vando and with other guys. Like, Anthony Towns might have the most impressive on-off profile in the NBA. Yeah. Like, and that's a, you know a, an indictment on the team as much as it is a, a plus for him. Uh, this team just cannot compete without Towns, and you know even then it barely competes. So I would just love to see a healthy season of Carl Anthony Towns. We know that. He can be healthy. He's not a guy who's been riddled with injuries for his whole career. Like, right. it's just been these last two seasons that have really uh, struck him down a little bit. So, yeah, I think yeah, I think it's a good point that that it's it's so and that's what makes it so hard to be like, yeah, this team's going to be really good, or or no, right. I think Minnesota are going to win twenty five games. Like, I don't know what Minnesota are going to do. I I need twenty games to start the season, I think, before I can give you a solid opinion whether I think this team is a play in or playoff team or they still stink like because yeah. right now i don't really know and the one you know 20 game stretch we did get was at the end of the season where it's just always weird at the end of the season like teams are tanking yeah. other teams are happy with the seed that they have in the playoffs like some teams have covid cases last season like i don't want to discount the fact that they looked really good mm-hmm. with all three of you know delo and and cat but it's also it doesn't hold the same weight it would if they came out at the start of next season and were you know, fifteen and ten. Like if they, yeah. that's when I would start to believe and probably start to have some outlandish takes. I think. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And that I, I was really excited and encouraged about how they looked last year or to end the last year, though, not to be the first part. Cause that was rough. Um, <laughs> I've, blocked, and, I've, that, I've blocked that out of my memory for a while. <laughs> like, that's just like deep in the depths of my head. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm glad that they tried to win. I I get that they lost their pick and because of that. Um, but I I don't think in the grand scheme of things that they were really ever going to keep that pick to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. and I I just think it's a better precedent with a new coach and these young players to change the culture because it's been such a bad losing culture for pretty much almost the entire time they've been in Minnesota and it it sucks and to that's why I it, love that's what I love that Anthony Edwards is the maybe yeah. the key piece to it because he hasn't been here for seven years and you know he, he doesn't down. know better yeah and he's so kind of immature in the good way that right. he I don't that I don't think the franchise history weighs down on him at all like the history of the Timberwolves for him started last season and you know, like that's that's why I love that he's such a key cog to all of this because I don't think I think Towns, as much as I, I think Towns can be a really good player on a winning team. Let's get that straight straight away. You know, I don't yeah. think yeah. I think I think a lot of this that Towns gets blamed for is not his fault at all. Um, but I think Towns has that burden of seven years of being bad mm-hmm. on his shoulders every moment, like in a big game, you know, in, in a close game at the end of the, at the end of a game. I think that weighs down on him that like you need to win this game so badly because we need to be a good team because we just haven't been while he's been here. Whereas Anthony Edwards, it's just like blase, you know, he's just going out there and and doing his thing and none of that weighs down on him. So that's why I enjoy that. He's a part of this, this, this process. Yeah. He's completely unburdened by expectations. It seems where it's, he he knows who he is. He's going to go out there and do what he wants to do. And expectations or reporters or headlines be damned, pretty much. Yeah. And, which is really refreshing because it's a sense of just joy and excitement playing out there. And it, he doesn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Summer League's boring in general. Do you have any, like, I know it's fun to watch the rookies and stuff, but it's just such bad quality basketball like do you have any summer league do you have any summer league takes that you want to fire off here um so just because guys look good in summer league does not mean that they are the next mvp um go back and look through the summer league mvp history it's (laughs) yeah it's not it's not great um Another mention for Tyus Jones on the podcast. <laughs> and, and he's one of the better ones. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in the, like, the last 15 years, he's probably top five NBA players who have won. Who, who won Summer MVP? League. Who won MVP in this uh, one? Uh, Cam Thomas and Dave Young. Oh, which yeah. will split it. And those are two uh, guys who I think are going to have pretty yeah. legitimate NBA careers. Um, but I mean, I, from a Timberwolves perspective... I, I liked seeing McDaniels get more on-ball reps. Um, I, I thought he showed continued to show more of his kind of passing upside. I don't think he's going to mm-hmm. be a big playmaker, but even last season he showed a lot of ability to pass out of cuts and on the move and stuff like that, which I think is really encouraging for his off-ball role and just overall offensive flow. 
Uh, Jalen Noel looked like Jalen Noel to me. Um, uh, yeah. McKinley Wright, I thought, looked like a solid kind of just game I lo- manager. If I love if McKinley Wright. Some of I love him. Gets hurt. He's he's good. He's not going to hurt you. Um, no. You put me is, onto him before the draft. Like I hit you up for a couple of guys that you thought yeah. would be undrafted free agents, and, and I kind of went and watched a few games and stuff on Synergy and. Like, he was the one that stood out to me as just, like, a really good pro if, if he gets in the right situation. I don't think he'll I don't think he'll ever be a, you know, star player or anything close to that. But I think he could be a low-end starter or a high-end backup. And for an undrafted free agent, I think that's about as good as you can hope for. And he looked like that in Summer League. Like, he looked like yeah. I expected him in Summer League. He's, he's not scoring that much. You know, he did in Colorado. He had big scoring nights. But, like, he's, he's a guy who really seems to know his role on whatever team he's placed in. Um, a bit like Be- Beverly in that sense, that, but it's just kind of like, all right, McDaniels and Noel are going to score 20 a night. Uh, I'm going to score six. I'm going to have six assists. I'm going to be the best perimeter defender on the yeah. on the court, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to turn the ball over. Like, I like that. Yeah, and his point of attack defense was really fun um, and encouraging. And if they resign. McLaughlin, we might not see right at all next season, um, unless mm-hmm. injuries. So maybe we'll see a lot of them. Um, <laughs> and then just the 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 final one was Nathan Knight, who I was really intrigued by. I I really like him. Um, I I it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up earning one of those final roster spots and actually gets minutes at the four. Um, I wrote about him right before. Summer League, and I, I think he he can fit next to Cat um, on both ends of the floor. I think he's a good def- off-ball defender and all of that, and another guy who I think can really play his role um, and shine in his role when he's not the guy or trying to show out at Summer League where there is zero yeah. structure to any of the games. Yeah, he's he, like I wrote about it a little bit uh, last Sunday, but the fact that he was averaging six fouls a game, I think the last <laughs> game he might have got like you know two or one, but like he averaged like three fouls per thirty six for Atlanta. So I don't think he. I think that a lot of his game was him trying to show as much as he can, and I think that included blocking yeah. a ton of shots, you know, and and being like this physical presence defensively, but. I like Knight. I don't think I'm as high on him as maybe a lot of a lot of other people are, but I do think yeah. that he's a. Two, I think he's a two way guy or a lower end roster guy, you know, and I and that's that's value with, with upside, I guess, to be more than that. And I think that's all you want from a two way guy is maybe right. the ability to to maybe outperform that position if his number is called. And like we've said before, like his number very very well may be called with the way this team has has had injuries the last few seasons and I think you might get another Nas Reed maybe kind of situation yeah. you know where Nas probably isn't in this backup role and a, and a pretty decent backup at that if if Towns never got injured you know if he was still developing in a in an Iowa jersey or you know 10 minute a night kind of role like yeah Summer League that, that's pretty much I think there's nothing really else to talk about Summer League every, yeah. every other player on their roster I didn't really love like Brian Bowen yeah. was a, was a fun kind of player. Like it, it's, not, it was not... just nice to see him improve from because yeah, I, I just watched a ton of him in the past with draft stuff, and he he's just gotten better. He's just turned into a better basketball player. I I don't think he's going to be in the NBA at all this year. 
But I mean, he he was playing hard and doing a little bit of stuff on the fringes. So and yeah. compared to what he was doing when he declared for the draft, it, it was just a a fun kind of progression of his skill set. Yeah, well, yeah, and as someone like you who watches you know a ton of film on on, on draft guys, it, it's sometimes just fun in a non timble sense to just watch guys improve. You know, young guys mm-hmm. who are clearly good people and hard workers, and and that's fun. Um, before we get out of here, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw four statements at you, and I just want you to tell me if you if you take it or leave it. All right. Yep. I'm springing this on you. Um. Anthony, Ever- Anthony Edwards averages more points than Anthony Towns next season. Take it or leave it. Uh, take it. <laughs> nice. I like the I like the fire <laughs> that you've come out with to begin this. Um, Malik Beasley should come off the bench next season. Take it. Having D'Angelo Russell. By the way, I probably should say I'll leave Anthony Edwards averaging more than Cat next season, but I'll definitely okay. take Malik. I'll definitely take Malik Beasley should come off the bench. Wait, for uh, the for the Beasley one, is that what we what what I prefer to happen or what yeah, will happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, what okay. you prefer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't worry about Chris Finch. This is the real. <laughs> this is the what real stuff he here. Yeah. <laughs> um, having D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jaden McDaniels is better than having Ben Simmons. Take it or leave it. Take it. Yeah, I'm gonna take that too, and that's a that's a tough one because I'm an advocate of Ben Simmons trades. Yeah. But same. I think if you don't, I think if you don't have Russell and Beasley, I think if you have no perimeter creation, Ben Simmons is just Ben Simmons in Philly. Like that yeah. doesn't appeal to me unless you can put him. Like the reason Philly want to get rid of Ben Simmons is is they need a perimeter a perimeter creator with yeah. Embiid and with Simmons as well. Like if you don't have one in Minnesota, it all goes to shit again. Last one, the big one. Minnesota make the play the playoffs, not the play in the playoffs. Take it or leave it. So is that either six seed or they win one or two play-ins? Let's say top eight seed. Top eight. Leave it. I'm gonna leave it. Just I think they come yeah. ninth. I think they come ninth. Yeah. I think they're better than they're given credit for, but the eight's Agreed. hard to crack. And I, I hope they come ninth and then win the play-ins. That would be more exciting than coming eighth. If they yeah. come ninth and then they win two massive games, like that would be fun. All right, that was fun. I'm gonna do that every week from now on. Take it or leave it. That's that's fun. Um, Tyler, what what can I plug? What can you plug for yourself? Anything that you've got you working on? Um, I don't know. I just, <laughs> life has freed up a lot since the draft ended. Thank God. Um, I I will have something on Patrick Beverly and kind of how he fits into the rotation. Um and hopefully what he means for this team going forward. Uh, hopefully we'll have that out sometime this week. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of it. I uh, might throw up something on Jaden McDaniels and what some of the intriguing flashes he showed over Summer League, but it's, we we need games to start here. And yeah, it's, it's that it. time. It's that time <laughs> of the offseason where there's just nothing to talk about. That trade might get us through a week or two of content. But <laughs> Exactly. Don't need a little bit more than that. Um, well, you can check all of that out at Canis Hoopus. Uh, obviously, hashtag basketball if you want to go through the draft stuff that, that Tyler does. I, it's too late now, but in draft season, you should be on hashtag basketball on Tyler's big boards. They are 
One of the best there is. What was it, 75 prospects this year? Did you end up extending it out to 75? Uh, went up to 85 this year. 85 this year. Um, prospects, synopsis on all of those guys. It is the way I kind of look at the draft, you know, to try and take a take a wide view approach on players that maybe you don't have enough time to sit down and watch. So thank you for that, Tyler. Thank you for thank you. joining me joining me on the show and always doing me a, a good conversation, man. Appreciate it. And everyone else, thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next week.